I'm on this last Sunday of seeds, and we talked about, because you can't talk about seeds without talking about sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. How many has been to a, maybe, maybe this, uh, this fall you've already been to, probably if you haven't, it's getting too cold to go. Definitely this week will be too cold to go. But you've been to the, you've been to the apple orchard. Anybody say yes? Bunch of you been. Anybody been to the pumpkin patch? Say yes. Few of you, yeah. And so, so the reason you can walk into an apple orchard in 2023 in the fall and see the hay bells stacked up and the, the, the multicolored corn and the pumpkins and all the weird-looking crooked neck squashes and all that stuff. Is it how you say squash, plural, squashes? Or is it squash eye? You can see all that stuff. The reason that you can do that is because somebody planted a seed. There's an orchard down in near Mooresville called Anderson Orchard. I've been going there since I was a kid. Because somewhere way back had to be in the 60s, 1960s. They planted, maybe before that, I don't know, somebody planted a sapling, a seedling, or whatever it is out there that came from a seed. And now, and I'm sure they planted many since, but now you go out there and you don't even think, well, I wonder what will be at the apple orchard this fall. I can tell you, you already know what's going to be there. Apples. Why? Because somebody planted a seed, and year after year after year after year, it's continued to produce a harvest, and apples are there. The increase is much more than what was ever planted. Somebody sold a seed. They planted, and now there's a harvest. Seed time and harvest, as it says in Genesis 8, continues on and on and on. And so we talked about sowing and reaping a little bit, and I appreciated Pastor Tim's word Last week about feed the seed. I hope that you are doing that as you committed to it. And, and I think it's important that we understand that, that for believers and Christ followers, that many times when you hear preaching, when you hear teaching, it's confirmation of what you've got on your, in your own personal devotional time and your own time of study and development in God's Word that you've got from, from applying yourself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then someone gets up and preaches a word, and you're like, yes, and yes, and yes. Anybody had that happen? Or maybe you've, maybe you've been doing this for a while now, and you've heard message and sermon and sermonette and, 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 and teaching and principle and precept over the years by a speaker, and you just, you hear it again, and you're like, yeah, I remember that. Thank you for reminding me, and you apply yourself. In fact, I've been a lot of places, and a lot of people speak, people different than me most of the time, and I always get something, and many times it's a confirmation of something that I already know, or I know it in part. Anybody track with me? Say yes. You've said here, some of you many times have heard me preach something like, hey, pastor, thanks for reminding me about that. Or, hey, you know, I wasn't focused in that area, and I knew it, but it wasn't there. But then there's also not just confirmation, but there's a revelation, right, revelational teaching and preaching that introduces you to something new. Now, it's important that you understand that, that there is nothing new that God is saying different than what he's already said. He's already said everything that he said. Are you catching what I'm saying? 
Like, this is a closed canon. We know this is the Scripture. This is the Word of God. We don't have to think, okay, is there another book that I can get so I can have more revelation? There's plenty of revelation in here. And even though you may have read it from cover to cover, I encourage you to do it. I remember Glenn Burnside. He was retired when I met him, but he pastored several places. I got a set of commentaries back there on my shelf that, that he gave me a beautiful specimen of a godly man pastored and lived for God, and he told me, and this is just a private thing. He didn't get up and publicize this because I don't think that's anything to publicize. But he said, I just completed my 32nd time reading the book, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And he spurred me on to say, I want to read it from cover to cover. I hope someday, I don't have a number in mind that I'm shooting for, but I, I hope someday I can look back and say, God, I've been through your word from front to back over and over and over again. Credible, credible. Man, you could be in that place where you've read the Bible. You've been on the reading plan. You've been reading through it. Many of you, many of you joined us the first year when we read through the New Testament on our 100 Days to Victory, and, and it was a, a beautiful thing uh, to read together. And you could, have, you could have read and applied yourself that way, and yet in your reading there's something that you missed. Like you read the words, but you didn't get the message. Anybody ever do that? Pastor Tim talked about last week how that sometimes you get to a place in Scripture and you're reading that and you're like, I don't know. I don't understand this. I don't know what to do with this. And so he said, what did he say? Anybody remember? Read on. Keep on read. Keep on moving. Don't get stuck and, 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 and try to, to deconstruct. Keep on keeping on. That's what they used to say to us. Are you you keep, on, keep on keeping on. Like they want you, don't, don't stop. And so sometimes you get to that place, and then one day you're, you're traveling through on this, on this uh, road following Jesus, and all of a sudden you realize, hey, I know what that meant now. And you go back, and it, it, the meaning of it is entirely different to you in the place that you're in. If you've ever experienced that, say yes. Yeah, and so, and so you could be reading through, and I'm going to help you with Revelation, but you just didn't get something because sometimes the word to you is not just confirmation, but it's revelatory. It's revelation. It's a revealed thing because you didn't get all that God said, and something new comes to you. And by the way, because I, I don't pretend to think that I know it all or that I've gained it all or that I've apprehended it all, I continue to say, God, surprise me in, in unexpected ways with, with something that I didn't know. Anybody like that? And so sometimes if we're not careful, we hear something that's a little different and we have a tendency to push it off because we think that's not God just because we never heard it. And I'm just saying this, revelation is that I gained something that I didn't know not simply because it's a new thing that's happening, but it's something God's already said, but I'm able to receive it in a place now that I may not have been before. I'm going to read in John chapter 12, and we'll be visiting it for quite a while today. And then I'm going to read, first of all, though, in Matthew 9. So you can turn to John 12 and have it ready. Matthew 9, this is just a set us up. How many like a setup? Jesus in Matthew 9 says, when, when Jesus saw the crowd, the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. That's a good place to underline or highlight, highlight right there. He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers 
the workers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I think when I read this, first of all, I get this picture of Jesus, and so many times people get Jesus wrong. Jesus is looking at the people, people in this world that are confused, that are in chaos, that are in turmoil, that are scattered, that are weary, have no guidance and leadership in their life. And he looks at them, and he's moved with compassion, just like he is today. The Jesus that you read about in the Gospels has not changed. It's important for you to realize that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not some different Jesus in heaven that's looking at us now and he's all angry with us. No, he still moves with compassion on the people in the world that we live in. The people that we would have a tendency to be angry at because of what, you know what I'm talking about. There's somebody in your life right now that's doing something and it's all messed up and creating all kinds of havoc and, and, and you're just upset with them and you're maybe even angry with them. And I'm just saying Jesus looks at them with compassion because they don't have any direction. They don't have their ducks all in a row like you. Their ducks are all scattered, all kinds of places. One of them, not even a duck, it's a pigeon, and they're just all messed up. And your tendency is, because of the evil or the vile or the ugly that they're involved in, to have a anger at that. By the way, be angry at the sin and the stuff. But, but don't be angry at the person. Jesus is moved with compassion even today when he sees the harvest. And he calls it a harvest. And here's what he says about the harvest. It's, it's great. It's not lacking. In fact, here's what we need to understand. It's not a harvest problem. I'm just telling you. There's not a harvest problem in our world. He says this, there's a worker problem. There's a laborer problem. There's not, there's not enough laborers. So he said, well, let's, here's what you need to do. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send in workers to the harvest to bring it in. Now, when I was a young pastor, man, I was praying hard. Praying God, bring in souls, bring in, I mean, I, We'd have corporate prayer times. We're calling them in from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west, bringing souls. It wasn't necessarily biblical, I'll be honest with you. Here's the biblical prayer. Pray for workers. And it was revolutionary. It was a revealed word to me when I saw this and I started praying, God, send in workers. Send in workers that look just like the people sitting here this morning. That know people that I don't know, that go into places I never go, that have encounters with individuals that, that I'll never encounter, and help them to go as workers into the harvest. That's what the church needs to be, by the way. One pastor said, said recently said, I don't want my people to go share the gospel with people I want them to bring people, and I'll share the gospel. And I'm like, wait a minute. I want everybody at elevation. I don't care how tall you are, how small you are, how bright you are, how dim you are. 
I want everybody to share the gospel. It'd be a great day if you just brought people with you every Sunday that you led to Jesus, and I could just preach on something different. You know what I'm talking about? Because you brought people already know Jesus. Because you led them there. It's getting quiet. It's tight, but it's right. John chapter 12, verse 20. Let me, let me, let me preface it before we read. You, you've got... You've got Jesus who's been at the house, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. There's been an anointing there in Bethany, and now he's made his triumphal entry. This, this is what marks the beginning of Holy Week. When we celebrate Good Friday and Easter and those things, Palm Sunday. It, it's, it's the picture of Jesus riding in. People are waving their palm branches and throwing out their coats, their cloaks, and, and he's coming in. There's just great acceptance. They're crying out, Hosanna meaning save now. They want the king now. And so now he's in, and, 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 and again, it's a busy time before Passover. A lot of people are in the city, and it says this in verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. By the way, if you're making, taking notes, you could just write, study who Andrew is in the New Testament. That'd be a great study because he's a picture of you uh, in, in, in the Gospels. Verse 23, but Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, verse 24, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, somebody say, if it dies, it produces much grain. You got a picture of Jesus here, and Andrew and Philip have brought the Greeks. They haven't been so excited about getting the children to Jesus, but when the Greeks want to come, they're like, Jesus, you won't believe he's here to see you. It's almost like, you know, and, and I don't know. I don't know all that it was about the Greeks that got them excited. You know, you can read in Acts chapter 6 about the Hellenist Jews and the, and, uh, and the Hebraic Jews and, and read about uh, how the, the difference was happening there and how it was remedied. But, but here you've, you've got them coming, wanting to come, and, and it's a good thing to want to see Jesus. How many know that? I mean, Jesus is somebody that people ought to want to see. He came so that the Jews and Greeks could see him. He even came so that the Americans could see him. How I many know that? Jesus, to want Jesus is a good thing. It's a beautiful thing here. But I don't know if they got what they were expecting. Philip and Andrew may have been shocked when Jesus said, the Greeks, Jesus, the Greeks are here to see you. And then Jesus says, well, except a seed fall into the ground and die. It remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus, the Greeks wanted to see him. His word is, except a kernel, a grain, corn of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. It seems like it's a riddle for the Greeks to get. <laughs> Are you with me? Unless you know what he's what he's saying, and he, and, he, and he helps us to see this because the preceding verse says this, that the hour has come for the Son of Man 
to be glorified. Wait a minute. He's setting some context in verse 23 for what 24 says. He says, the hours come, right? We would understand, I would say, that I could say resurrection is glory. Are you with me? That being, being ascending and being seated at the right hand of the Father, that's glorifying. But Jesus seems to paint the picture that the next steps and on this progression to resurrection, that that's, I'll, I'll call it this this morning, the glory road. Because then he goes on to explain and define what that means. And before we go into the rest of that, I just would help us to understand this, that Jesus is referring to himself as a seed planted in the ground, as a seed. Now, we, that shouldn't surprise us because way back in Genesis 3.15, God says, I'm going to put an enmity between you to the serpent, to you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Galatians 3.15, again, reference to Jesus being the seed. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. That Jesus is the seed that came to this world to be planted in you. You need to understand, Genesis 2, 7 says this, that we are the soil. It says that, that God formed man out of the dust. Some versions will render it the dirt of the ground, that we were made out of the soil. I think it typifies the, the very picture that soil needs a seed, and you can't plant a seed in anything. You need to plant a seed in soil. And if Jesus is the seed, and I do believe that, we are the soil. And that him being planted in you is a game changer for your life. Now you got to see this because it's transformational. That's why, that's why Israel can come out of Jacob. I mean, I'm just saying that, that most people would paint Jacob as a deceiver. In fact, would say the word uh, in Hebrew, Jacob means supplanter. That, that, that Jacob, is his name is not spoken in a good light. And, and Jacob's got some things going on that you could question about his life. I mean, we read about Jacob in the book of Genesis. You don't always look at him and say, well, this guy seems to have it all together. I mean, at time when he put on animal skins, when his father was losing his sight and about to die and went in the place of his younger brother so that he could get the blessing instead of his brother getting the blessing, the birthright. I'm, I'm just saying that didn't seem to be altogether to be uh, lovely. Are you with me? Like your brother's the oldest brother. He's going to get the blessing. He's the one that the father's going to bless. But instead, because he's a hairy man, and we kind of get the picture of how hairy he was because I think it was goat skin that he put on, and he went and his, his, he said, you don't sound like, like Esau, but let me feel you. And he said, you feel like Esau. You guys tracking with me? Esau has some hair. So Jacob gets the blessing, and yet, Jacob and his encounter with God becomes Israel. And the beautiful thing about it is that Jacob was just soil. In fact, I think, I think, I think the Lord wants us to remember who Jacob was because they never started saying the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Israel. Right? There's, there's something to remember here, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, because Jacob was just soil whose life was changed. Moses, the, the murderer and the fugitive from justice, 
with his encounter with God becomes a leader and a prophet. David shepherding just sheep and God with, with in his life moves him to the place of, of shepherding people as a king. Peter is fishing for uh, rotten, stinking, smelly fish, and Jesus in his life causes him to be a fisher of men. Saul, who's a terrorist and persecutor of the church, now becomes Paul, who's an apostle to the Gentiles, simply because of Jesus in his life. Jesus says this, greater things are you going to do. Greater things. Somebody shout greater. Yeah, John 10 and 10 said, Jesus said, the thieves come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus in your life, the seed of Christ Jesus in the soil of your life, produces life and life abundant, life to the full. How many know that's something to get excited about? And then Jesus gives us this, this design, this model of what it looks like to be planted, what it looks like for us to be planted. Right? The, the Greeks come there and they get this revelation. Philip and Andrew get this revelation that if you're planted, if you die, we'll talk about dying to self today. It's, it's not a popular message. And it, 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 doesn't, it, it doesn't necessarily play well in most circles, but, but it's, it's the word of God for us today to die to self. In fact, Matthew 13, 44 Short parable here. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid it. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Sometimes I've heard people try to make that salvation. Well, you can't buy salvation. How many know that? You can't do enough good works. You can't, you can't give enough, pay enough that you could experience Salvation. It's the free gift of God. It's because of, it's brought unto you by faith and grace. Right? The field is a picture of the world. John 3.16 says this, that God so loved the world that he gave his son, right? So, so the field is the world. It's, it's the soil, if you will. See, you and I have been bought. The word says this, we've been bought with a price. The ransomed price has been paid for us. And I would say this today, it's important that you understand you are the seed. Following after Jesus' model, Ephesians, Paul says this, be imitators of God. Romans 8, 29 says, we're predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, he's the prototype in which we follow. He's the first. And our life should follow his life. It, it should look like his life. We should replicate who Jesus is. And now, now we would say that this is easy to preach this, that we should replicate Jesus in power. How many say yes to that? I believe that. Yes, right? Kind of quiet. Anybody agree with that? Say yes. Yeah, replicating him in power, yes, we want the same power that Jesus, with the anointing that Jesus walked in. We want to walk in a way that's powerful like Jesus did. We could even preach that, that we want to walk in and we want to see the virtues of Jesus in our life and replicate those and imitate those. I may say, yes, that's a good thing. Right? People should, should see Jesus in us and, and through us. But he's not only calling us to replicate him in those things, but to replicate him in death. Oh, my. That's not the fun thing to preach. 
Because the world, just like we are the soil for him to be planted into, the world is the soil in which God has shaken you a seed on this planet. And they desperately need to have an encounter with Jesus, and you may be the only Jesus that they'll get a glimpse of in this world. You may be the only scripture that they'll ever get to read of in this world until they meet him. And so we must represent him in his fullness to people. Anybody with me say yes. So I'll pick back up in John chapter 12, verse 24. Jesus said, and we'll read it again, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servants will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. For a few moments this morning, talking about a hard and a glorious call on our lives in following Jesus. I thought I would talk about the hard first and then talk about the glorious, but then I thought, I don't want to make you wait that long because some of you might just say, well, this is too hard. And by the way, he didn't call you to something that's too hard. The way of a transgressor is hard, right, with endless hardness. But for the life of a in the life of a follower of Jesus, there will be hard times, and there will be times that are glorious, ultimately ending in a glorious time. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I was standing in the line in Atlanta Airport, and uh, and appreciate our TSA workers that do such a great job. But the line was long. There was a line to wait in to get in the line to go through the security. So we're waiting in the line to get in, finally get in. And my kind of skewed, limited vision, all I saw was like about four rows going back and forth. And then later on, I found out like we're waiting, we're, we're waiting for, for like an amusement park ride because there's a whole other line back here that goes up and down about eight times. And there's another line over here, and they got this big place where they walk through. And, and I'm walking, and there's these dogs Maybe, you're, maybe you work for TSA. You know all about this. I didn't know much about it. And I don't guess I'd ever seen dogs where you had to walk in between them. But we had, I watched somebody, and they were walking in their bag. All of a sudden, the dog just went crazy. And they pulled them off the side. I don't know what happened to them. Tried to pray for them. <laughs> and then I was thinking, I don't know of anything in my bag. <laughs> but I hope my dog doesn't go crazy because I know how long I got before I got to be on my flight. I mean, I was walking through some place in downtown Atlanta that my bag could have got some smell on it from something. You know what I mean? You have all kinds of smells now in our world that legally that you used to, or illegally, I don't know, that you used to not have. And so I'm thinking, well, I hope that dog don't do that to my bag. And I told it to the guy next to me. He's a younger guy than me. I said, hey, I've never seen him do this, have you? He said, yeah. I said, what are they smelling for? He said, firearms and drugs. I said, can they smell a gun? He said, they can smell gunpowder. I said, oh, okay, it makes sense now. And so so we've been standing in line for a little while. We hadn't really said much. So that was my, that was my cue, good for me, bad for him, to like we're going to have a conversation now. Because once we got through the dogs, we still had a bunch of back and forth to go. And his plane was leaving in like 10 minutes, so I let him in front of me. But, and he had a cross on and an onk and something else. And so... I said, hey, what's, what's the 
What's the deal with those? And so we began to share. And he had been in the church. His parents had raised him. He'd, he'd known the way of the Lord and then made some decisions and gotten away and, and, uh, and recently had recommitted his life to Jesus. And he was telling about the hard times sometimes in his life now. And I said, but you know, even though you have hard times now, there's somebody walking in your life with you when you didn't have anybody before. And he said, oh, that's so true. And it encouraged him, I think, a little bit because just understand this, just because you're following Jesus doesn't mean that you won't have hard times at some point. Can I help you for a moment? You say, Pastor, preach something positive. I'm positive you'll have hard times sometimes. Now, just as I told him, your hard times following Jesus are better because he's with you than any in your best day in the world. But, but I think it's also important to, to understand that if somebody sold you some bill of goods, that if you follow Jesus, you'll never, ha never have another problem. You'll never have any trouble. Your bank account will always be fat. You'll always have the car that you, your dream car. By the way, have a fat bank account. Anybody with me? That's not a bad thing. Have your favorite car. I'm fine with that. But, but you'll never have to deal with anything. Your marriage will be perfect. Your children will never get in trouble. And you'll never be sick a day in your life and, and all those kind of things. And then you've experienced not that, not that, not that, not that. Don't get discouraged because Jesus said in this world, Jesus said this, it said this. I didn't make this up. In this world, you'll have trouble. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Job said it like this, that a man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Well, that's me. That's all the men in here. And let me add, I, I think we could add women to that. A woman born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. It's, it's a hard and glorious call, and God doesn't, Jesus didn't call you to just easy. So I want to talk about four hard and four glorious things. And, and don't miss this because, because the glory and the overflowing joy uh, in this hard life of being a Christian can be yours. And so I'm going to start off with what Jesus said, first of all, and here's the model for you and I to replicate his life and to be seeds sown into the soil of this world is that you first understand that, and you can put it in big letters on your notes, we die. That's helpful. I'm sure that helped you a lot. We die. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, in fact, when Jesus says most assuredly, most assuredly, right, not like, hey, I, gotta, I, gotta, I was thinking about an idea. No. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. By the way, dying is hard. We would choose life over death, it'd have to be an extraordinary circumstance to cause us to say, we want death, not life. Right? I mean, a terminal, endis, a terminal illness that you're at the end of, of your walk through that, or, or you're in some uh, horrible, horrific pain, maybe you'd say, Lord, just take me. But for the most part, we would choose life over death. And yet the seed has got to die before it can bear much fruit helping us to understand that death isn't in vain. It's significant. Christ's death on the cross wasn't in vain. It was significant 
more significant than any other act on this planet uh, except his resurrection, his death on the cross. And dying, well, it's hard. And it, it's this idea of dying to, to self, dying to the flesh, dying to our own desires, dying to fleshly wants, dying to, to appetites in this world. It's so that our life doesn't fulfill the part in Galatians 5 where it says that these are the works of the flesh. Because that's what our flesh wants to produce. The carnality uh, that, that is encased within our, in our life wants to fulfill fleshly appetites and desires. And it's saying that I'm going to die daily. I'm going to die to these things so that I can produce much fruit. That's the glorious thing. We're going to bear much grain, much fruit. And, and by the way, you can't have resurrection without death. You can't have the glorious without the hard. You can't have much fruit without death. Romans 6, 6 says, knowing this, that our old man, everybody say old man, was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And so it's this walk in which I say, I'm going to die out to me so that people can see Jesus. I'm going to decrease so that he can increase. Romans 6.22 helps us to see what's going to happen when we do that. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have uh, your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. We bear much fruit. That's the beautiful thing that comes out of dying to self. And I think that the other thing that I read here in verse number 25, right, is this produces this idea of the hard thing that we hate our lives. And he doesn't stop there. I'm glad he's, it'd be, it'd, be a, it'd be a cruel, dark world if Jesus just said, hate yourself. And he doesn't say that. He says, there's a couple words, three words added on to this that help us to, to be able to do it. We hate our lives in this world. That's what it says in, in verse 25. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Hating your life in this world is hard. And I'm careful because I know all the therapists and all the people that try to help people, right? I, I know that it's about learning to provide self-care and love for yourself. And I'm not demeaning that because Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But then he says to us who are following him to hate your life in this world. Well, just think about it like this. Did Jesus love his life in this world, or did he love his life resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for you? It's the idea that, that in this world that is, that is temporal, Paul talks about it like this, eternal there's an eternal realm. There's a temporal realm. And in this world, it is temporary. Anything that we pursue in this world is fleeting. Anything that we pursue in this world, in this life, is elusive. We can't catch it. There's no fulfillment in it. There's no satisfaction in it. And, and I would say this, that the Rolling Stones back in the 60s, 66, whenever it was, they, they spoke a truth when they said, I can't get no satisfaction. I try, and I try, and I try, but I can't get no satisfaction. 
That's a true statement for this world. There's, there's millions, billions of people running after something in this world that they think will satisfy and will give them fulfillment, and that'll be, that'll be what they need. And when they finally get it, they realize it's fleeting and it's temporary, and it's only for this world. There's nothing in this world that is eternal. The world has nothing to offer that is eternal. And that's the glorious thing that you and I need to understand is this, that we are keeping our lives for eternity. We're guarding our lives for eternity. And while we're in this world, it doesn't mean that, that we're not entertained. There's entertaining things in this life. I mean, I love it that the Lord put the sun the way he did, and it rises so beautifully, and it sets so majestically. Some nights when you look out and you see the moon, and it's just shining so brightly, Sometimes, you ever seen that when, when the atmosphere is just right or however it is making it do this? I'm not scientific. But you almost see that glow around, that haze kind of around the moon. and It's like it just illuminates so much. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Big fall moon. So beautiful. Uh, it can entertain you. I mean, you, you could go see, you know, I don't know, somebody. I started to say some names, but I thought, well, they're dead. and they're, You can't go see them. Is that guy sung all, you know, Reverend Blue Jeans? What's his name? Neil Diamond. Is he still alive? Nobody knows. That's okay. Somebody's on Google it right now. You could go sing, you could go see Neil Diamond. You'd be like, oh, that's so, you know, oh, you know he's got the one song. Everybody, they still sing it, you know. Dun, 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 dun. Sweet Caroline. There we go. Sweet Caroline. Right, and, and you could go see him, and, and they could sing that, and your mind could take you back to a time when you heard that song, and, you know, you were with whoever, doing whatever, you know, you was, you was in high school, walking down the hall, I don't know, whatever it is, and, and you're like, it's nostalgic. Anybody ever have that happen? I mean, I quit going to Chili's because they played that music all the time, and I'd be, there comes that song, you know, and all this stuff. I don't want to hear all those songs. That's just me. You can go to Chili's and listen to them. I'm just saying this. You can get entertained in this world. You can even feel happy in this world. But you'll never find ultimate fulfillment in this world. I tell couples when they're getting married, don't think that marriage is your ultimate fulfillment because if you think that, a marriage is going to fall short of that. I mean, it's what God created, and it's a beautiful thing. But it's not meant to be the ultimate fulfillment for your life. Jesus is. Right? Even the church isn't going to be the ultimate fulfillment in your life. That'll be something you don't like, something goes wrong, something done different than you think, something that's, and it, so church isn't even meant to be the ultimate fulfillment. Jesus is. Jesus, he created these institutions to help us, give us a picture of what that's going to look like, a skewed picture in this world. And so, so I'm not saying we don't enjoy our time here, but we do live with this, with this idea in, in our mind that, that we hate our life in this world so much so that we're not going to be entangled and trapped by all the stuff the world has to offer because the world has a lot of stuff to offer. There's a whole lot of things it's putting before you trying to get your glimpse or your gaze and your fascination so that your fascination is with the world instead of with him who came into the world, right? That's why he says, right, love not the world or the things of the world. Touch not, handle not, 
right? Be ye separate from the world. Live a life that, that is countercultural because of who you're following. I got some notes here. I'm just going to look and see if I got anything I need to say. Yeah, we keep our, the, the, the beautiful thing is we keep our lives. We keep our lives for eternal life. We guard our lives. I'm not going to let that trap me and pull me in until I become obsessed and possessed by it. The activity itself may not be bad. Right? There's a whole lot of things. It's, it's neither good or evil. They're just things. It's the idea, am I going to let that trap me and, ma and, and make me think that's the ultimate fulfillment? There's people get attached to a television program. They can't miss it. Everybody's got to be quiet. They got to get there to go watch Gunsmoke or whatever it is. So they, so they watch it every week, you know, trying to be there to see that until it almost controls their life. And I'm just saying, don't let anything get a hold of you like that. Guard your life. Again, watch a good episode of Gunsmoke. I'd like to see what Matt does. Matt, Sheriff Matt Dillon. You don't even know who he is. You just think it's funny. Paul said it like this. He talked about what we're dealing with in this world as a momentary light affliction. Right? There's, there's a far much weightier glory that's coming. Right? And so the hard thing is, uh, we'll see in the next verse here in 26, we follow Jesus in suffering. That's hard. Following Jesus in suffering is hard. He said, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, verse 26, there my servant will be also. Right? Follow me. Well, where's he going? He's going to a scourging, to a crown of thorns on his head, to being pierced in the side, to his hands being nailed to a cross, being lifted up as a bloody, as a bloody mess in front of everyone, stripped naked, mocked, beaten, taken down as a dead Messiah placed in a borrowed tomb. That's where he's going. And nobody wants suffering. I mean, if we, if we put something on the app and said, hey, today after service you can choose comfort or suffering. I'm just telling you, unless you've got some kind of thing going on in your head that's not right, nobody's choosing, hey, I want to do the suffering. We're all saying, I want the comfortability. I, I want to be in comfort. I want the lazy boy life, not the other life. And I think that it's important to understand that a part of following Jesus is that sometimes we're moving through the suffering. I mean, we love, and it's a powerful verse to preach, Philippians 3.10. Apostle Paul said that I may know him, that I may know Jesus, that I may have a relationship with God, and know him in the power, somebody shout power, of his resurrection. I want to know him like that. How about you? I mean, I'm telling you, that calls you to, when you, when you, I may know him in the power, square your shoulders back, lift up your head. I'm walking in resurrection with Jesus. Like death couldn't hold him down, right? The enemy couldn't stop him. There's an empty tomb. Ain't nobody in that tomb because Jesus came out of it. We can get excited about that. But the verse doesn't end there, right? That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. It doesn't even end there. And being made conformable to his death. Already talked about we die. I don't think that's going to be a hashtag or go anywhere, but we die. And it says in the fellowship of his suffering. I said it earlier, 
that somebody could have sold you a bill of goods and everything's going to be perfect in your life because you're following Jesus. You're going to have problems, but you've got somebody to go to. An amazing thing is that he walks through the hard places with you. He doesn't desert you. He doesn't abandon you. He said, I'll go with you all the way, never leave or forsake you, all the way to the end. No matter what you're struggling with. And the great thing about it in this life, there's parameters put on the things that we deal with that seem like suffering in our life. All right, weeping may endure for a night, right? He didn't say weeping is going to endure for 100 years. Aren't you glad for that? Weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. There's a sunrise over the horizon of the thing you're facing in your life that's going to change the whole dynamic. A paradigm shift is going to happen simply because it's not meant to last forever. And by the way that the suffering, and I think the old timers used to sing those songs, you know, heaven will be worth the journey when I get there. Or uh, what's that one? How beautiful heaven must be, sweet home of the happy and free fair haven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. Anybody know those old songs? Any of those old songs? There's other songs about, you know, heaven. I'm just trying to think of one of them, you know. I look at my wife because she knows a lot of those songs and she can like mouth one to me, but she's not coming up. You know, used used to be one said uh, about being over yonder. What is it? Uh, I don't know a lot of them anymore, so I'm just saying they're on the tip of my tongue. Pastor Tim preached about that last, last week. But, but I'm just, when we all get to heaven, what a day that'll be. When we all get to heaven, what a day, glorious day that will be. Glorious day, they're good, glorious day. When we all get to heaven, we'll sing and shout the victory. Let us then be true. Okay. I, I just want us to understand, may have been a reason they were singing those because maybe in their suffering to get a glimpse of heaven helped them to deal with the suffering because we're going to join. The beautiful, glorious thing is we're going to join Jesus in glory. Right? There may be suffering, seasons of suffering, and times when it seems hard and difficult here, but we're going to join Jesus in glory. And it's hard sometimes to take the role of a servant in a world of power but it's also glorious. The last part of verse 26, the hard 26, the hard thing is we become servants. If anyone serves me, he says, my father, him my father will honor. It's, it's taking on the role of the waiter at the table, at his table, instead of being seated at the table. Being seated at the table is rather easy. Serving at the table, well, that's, that's a whole other thing. We're already, if you know Jesus, you're already seated at the table. Psalms, the psalmist told us that, right, that, 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 that he's provided a table in the presence of our enemies. We're already seated at the table. He extended an invitation. Jesus is the invitation for us to join at the table. One day we will, we will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb gathered around the table. At least that's the way I picture it. And so we're already at the table, but he's calling us to wait on to serve those. And being that, well, that's, I told Ben, one of the waiters that I see every so often, 
Um, Ben's got kind of hair that's a little wild. It's not like mine. Mine's all tamed and all in a row. I pretty much know what's going to happen with mine today. It's going to be just like that. Ben's got, and he's got it back kind of in a ponytail back here. He's got a beard, and it's not like a real full beard. He just got patches. It didn't come in just the way that, you know, some beards come in and a little different lengths and scraggly a little bit, you know. And, uh, and Ben seems like, to me, one of the more unlikely people. And, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, shouldn't put numbers on people that come to Jesus, but, like, he's just got some thoughts and things out there. And, but I've been meeting with him when he waits on me. And, uh, and Ben, uh, one day I told him something. And, I, and I'll give you a glimpse into Ben. Ben's grandmother died not too long ago. Ben's had some real um, high church religious upbringing when he was real young. And since then, he's studied all kinds of stuff. He's reading a book. He told me he thought I'd like it, and, and I did. I mean, he said, I'm reading a book about the Abrahamic faith through Christianity and Judaism and Islam. And I said, well, that's cool. If you have any questions, I don't know everything, but you can ask me. And so um, I know how far he's got, if he's on first page or first chapter. He's read the whole thing. He hasn't told me. But, but Ben, uh, he was telling me his grandmother passed away, and they were gathered around the casket He's at the end of the service, and he said, nobody else was in there with the family. He said, all of a sudden, they start singing this hymn that I'd known when I was just a small child. He, and he didn't know it all, but he knew parts of it. He said, they started singing, and I started singing it with them. They're singing this song. He said, all of a sudden, he said, I felt something. He said, I don't know what it was. He said, you know, I could. And so I had a little conversation with Ben about the omnipresence of God. I said, I said like this. I said, we all know, I'm just including him in this. He's like shaking his head, yes. I don't know if he's just saying that because he thinks he should say yes or, or where I've got him at. But I said, we all know that God's omnipresent. And he's everywhere all the time, all at once. He's like, I said, but sometimes God will manifest his presence in your life. And I said, you know, in the New Testament, Jesus showed up in people's lives that had a bunch of stuff going on. And he's right there with them, right in the mess of what they were dealing with. I think I may have shared the, about the woman caught in the act of adultery because that's a good picture you know, okay, here, here's, here's death, and Jesus steps in as life and grace and truth, by the way. And he's like, wow. I said, I think that he just showed up for you because he knows you're hurting. He said, wow. So he went on because he's probably late and taking care of some other people. Went over, and he came back. He said, he said tell me more about that. What I shared with Jen, uh, Ben, I wanted to set up kind of who he is. I shared I don't know, a couple months ago, I said, he was talking about serving and how people always ask him, what else does he do? Go to school, have kids. What do you he said, you know, this is my thing. He said, I love being a server. He said, you know, it's not like it's a second job and I'm just doing this to make ends meet because I want to do some extra things. He said, this is the thing I do. He said, I love doing this. He said, I do pretty well. I said, that's cool. And uh, I said, well, you know, Jesus said that, the one waiting on the table, serving the table, is greater than the one seated at the table. <laughs> he said, what? He said, I've never heard that. I said, well, let me say it again to you. Because I said, you want to get this. And so I shared that with Ben. And, and that's it's so true that for you and I, the harder part is serving. Easy to be seated. It's easy to be seated at the table and like, yeah, I like a little bit more of that. Okay, can you, can you, can you bring me a side of this and hey, I'd like to get some more to drink here and to say all those things and just leave a little tip and be on your way and all your stuff's been taken care of. It's 
harder, more difficult to be the person that's running out there. Oh, they just told me four more things, and i got to remember those and bring those back. By the way, those people do it great. I couldn't do that. And then not to drop it all on the way to the table. If I was doing that, I'd be the one that, that you'd hear a crash over and, you know, I'll be or something, and everything just exploded. Uh, but they do so well at doing that. But that's not the easier out of the two. It's harder to serve than it is to be served. And yet Jesus said this, that the Son of Man came, Matthew 20, uh, Mark chapter 10, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That is the model that he gives for you and I. That's what he calls us to replicate, that we would do that, that we would serve. And then he says this, and here's the glorious part, that to that person, the Father is going to honor them. And I think about, I mean, it's a wow moment. It's a convicting moment to think that the sovereign creator of the universe who framed everything that we know and see is going to bring us, this is, this is my picturing of it. Bring us before him and honor us. The one who spoke light, simply because he said, let there be light, there's light. For no other reason is there light except that God said, let there be light. That he says, that that God says, come before me. I'm going to honor you because you served. And then I think, and this isn't, you don't have to walk in condemnation with this or guilt or shame. That's not what it's meant to be. But it is an awareness that, that one day in glory we will stand and that God is going to honor us for how we served. And it makes me think, oh, Lord, I want to serve you in a better way than I have. Because I, I can tell you, and, and by the way, we're serving him, and in serving him, we serve people. And God, the people, and I mentioned they're the people that you love, because he, he loves the people in this world. Sometimes we want to be angry at the people in this world. There's a, there's a conflict going over somewhere in the world, and those people are doing evil things, and, 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 and we, we kind of want God to be angry and upset at those people when God loves those people, even though they're doing wrong things. That the people that, that live in your neighborhood or live in our city that, that are involved in darkness and in evil things, that God loves them. And then he calls us to serve them, not with complaints and not with our, our, our judgment and not with our, our castigating people, but to serve them because he loves them difference between conviction and condemnation is that conviction by the Holy Spirit is brought to me to help me to change. Condemnation kind of leaves you there feeling horrible about yourself and about your actions, about where you're at. Conviction says, this may not have been a right attitude or a right heart, but I'll give you that and you can move forward in a different place, in a different space in the way that you view people and the lens in which you see the world through. And that's what he's calling us to. Die to self. Ugh. 
want to tell you, the more that you die to self, the more you raise your head in victory and walk. To hate my life in this world, God, I'm not living for this world. Remember the old song, World Behind Me, Christ Before Me, right? I'm leaving this world in the dust. I'm following Jesus. Even through suffering, Jesus. Even though like Paul and Silas and Roman Joe, when they were trying to do good, they're suffering. You had not forgotten about them. He's not forgotten about you. And Lord, help us to become servants so we can experience, help us do the hard so we can experience the glorious. He didn't call us to easy. He didn't call us to easy. And I know this message, this messaging doesn't play well. Everybody doesn't want to always hear this. But if we're honest with ourselves, we've got to heed to the call that he's called.